0: Welcome to the One Climbs Podcast, a show about exploring life through the lens of theology, scripture, symbolism, and ideas that uplift the human mind. you could call this a word of wisdom story but it's so much more than that i feel and it's been just over 10 years since life circumstances drew me into what ended up being this deep dive into the word of wisdom scripture quotes all these different all these different things and i made some very difficult changes in my life about 10 years ago and so after about a decade, I'm kind of reflecting back on some of these changes and I'm looking back even further than that to try to think about how this all originated, what the pivot point was, and what I've learned up to this day. Because I feel like I've I've learned some, some very interesting things by going through this experiment and this process. Now, I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life or what they should do. Or, or sound preachy or judgmental or anything like that. I'm just sharing my story. And I love hearing the stories of others. And I think it's really important that we each share some of the things that we experience. You may listen to this and very much disagree with some of the things that I have to say. You may notice points along my path where I made certain decisions and you might have made others. And that's all perfectly fine we can disagree we can have different experiences and that's one of the things that i think makes principles of the gospel so unique is when you have principles you have this general set of guidelines for the exercise of our agency that's how elder bednar kind of defines them and that means that sometimes the results of those principles may look different in each of our cases Take the principle of prayer, for instance. Each of us may pray very differently to God. Uh, We have people praying very differently to God in many other religions, but even within the Latter-day Saint faith, you'll have people that offer prayers very, very differently. Some people may fold their arms. Some people may clasp their hands together. Some people may hold hands Um, there's a lot of different ways that we pray. And I don't think you could argue that any one way is better than another or that certain words always need to be said. We don't really have written down prayers from individuals or groups to Father in Heaven. Um, As part of our theology, we do have ordinances where there are certain set words and things. But when it comes to our personal prayer and our personal relationship with God, you're going to get multiple different applications. And so my story and what I'm sharing here is is just some of the things that, that I've experienced. So I just want to make sure that that's abundantly clear. And in this first part, I kind of want to go back to my childhood and share some, some very specific memories that I had that influenced kind of my thinking And how I came to where I'm at right now. I think it's important. So that's kind of what part one is going to be about. It's going to go kind of from early childhood up until I started to notice that there was this problem that I needed a solution to in my early adulthood and the decisions I made there. And that will be everything after that will kind of be in part two. So anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Part one. So when I was a kid, as a little boy growing up in Texas, there, there were lizards everywhere. And I absolutely loved dinosaurs, dragons, lizards, reptiles, all different kinds of things. When I was uh, you know, 11, all through my teenage years, I had uh, pet iguanas and had snakes and turtles and all kinds of, of different animals. I've always really, really liked reptiles. So when I was a little kid, maybe about seven years old, Uh, I remember catching this one very large lizard in my yard, and he bit me on the finger. And I've been bitten by lizards before, but this was a a large male, and it hurt really bad, and and I got really mad at this lizard. You know, how how dare he bite me? And so I took this piece of wood that was in the backyard, and I lifted it up, and I threw the lizard under the piece of wood, and I let the wood fall on the lizard. I, I didn't like intentionally try to squish him any anymore that but I kind of felt like I was punishing him you know I, I felt like I needed to retaliate against this <laughs> this lizard it wasn't much more than maybe six inches long and um, you know take this violent action against him and then I remember going into my house and uh, my dad was there and for some reason or another I I kind of told him what I did and he he expressed a, l- a little bit of alarm at this and he, he had me come follow him. We went out to the yard and, and he asked me to point out where the lizard was and I, I lifted it up and he was under there and, um, you know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't squashed, but he didn't look very good. And my dad kind of very gently scooped him up and put him on top of the fence. And later on, I came back to check and he was gone. And I think a bird or something took off with him. Um, I, I don't think he made it, but my dad had a, had a talk to me there and, and, you know, he kind of came down to my level, and he he made it abundantly clear that that was not the right thing to do. I should not have um, just straight up killed something like that for no reason, uh, and that it was basically my fault. I got bit because I chased him down. I captured him, and he probably thought I was going to eat him or something, and he was just defending himself. So it wasn't right for me to to punish him for just defending himself when I could have just not intervened with his life in the first place. And that was the very first time that it kind of entered my mind that that animals uh, you know should should be treated with some kind of respect. That, you know, we shouldn't just treat them as inanimate objects. They're not inanimate objects. They they have fear just like we do. They can sometimes react in fear like we do, and and I hadn't really realized that before. And so, with this information, I remember that it it had a really profound effect on my thinking. And I felt a lot of guilt about that experience for for a little while. I loved lizards and and all these little critters, and I didn't want to be the guy who was going around destroying them. You know. So um, later on, I I remember as a I would go to get a shower. I would notice that sometimes there would be, you know, an ant inside the tub struggling to get out, or there would be an ant up on the windowsill or some other little bug or small animal. And, you know, you just turn on the tub and flush them down the drain. But then I started to think, what is that little ant experience going down the drain? You know, uh, just like the lizard, is he afraid? Is he, does he have feelings and emotion? There, seems, there has to be some kind of little brain in that little ant head, but how much do they know? Do they look around the world? Do they appreciate things I do? I didn't know the answers to these questions. And, and then I had this other thought. I have a choice. I can choose to simply just flush that ant down the drain. Or, you know, I, I looked out the window And I could actually open the window if I'm standing there in the tub. And there was a screen over the window and there was a little hole in the screen. And I said, I could pick the ant up and I can just put him through the hole. So I'd let the ant climb on my finger and I put him through the hole in the screen and the ant kind of crawled away. And I'm like, okay, now he's gonna go and live a life and serve a purpose. And I had this choice to whether I could kill something end its existence or I could allow it to continue its existence. And I, I felt this kind of responsibility to make that choice. And so over the years I would find an ant in the tub and I would just pick them up on my finger and put them through that little hole. I mean, this happened for, (laughs) for like years and years. And it got to the point where I didn't want to simply squash the bug or get rid of it. And uh, oftentimes there's a lot of cockroaches in South Texas. I'd have to catch them, but um, I'd catch them with my bare hands for my mom because she hated them. And so I would catch them and just let them go outside. She says, why don't you just kill them? Why don't you just, you know, smash them? They're gross. But to be honest with you, um, the reason I didn't do that is if you smash a roach, it makes a massive mess and its guts get everywhere because they're big. You know, it's not like, it's not like swatting a mosquito, uh, you know, there's, there's splatter and residue. So it was much easier just to catch the thing and let it go. And plus I just felt like, you know, um, why not? I, I do that with ants, let it go live its life, whatever. And that's all I did. But I grew up in Texas, which meant barbecue and we ate tons of, of barbecue, it was very common to eat meat with every single meal, you know, sausage for breakfast. Um, There was meat in the spaghetti sauce. There was uh, a lot of barbecue chicken. Um, You know, we, yeah, we had grills. We would go eat out at barbecue places and it was just kind of a cultural thing. Very, very much so a cultural thing. So we would laugh and make fun of, you know, vegetarian. Like, I don't think I ever knew anyone that was a vegetarian or someone that that just didn't eat meat. It was just not something that happened. It would, it was very, we always heard people out in California that, you know, I guess they're hippies or something that they do that kind of stuff, but not us. You know, we, God gave us meat. We, we kill the animals, we eat them. That's their purpose, you know, har, har, har and, and all that jazz. And uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of the view. Nothing really about that seemed wrong or incorrect or, or whatever it was just what we did. And so I I went out into the mission field and uh fast-forwarding here a bit that's that's about all the stories from the past just to kind of build a foundation but you know I get out into the mission field and I'm in Idaho and Idaho is meat and potatoes country, you know? So there's a lot of steak and ground beef and a lot of um you know just kind of American standard diet kind of food that you would expect in some of those those areas and regions. and you know I never really questioned any of it and uh, but as I was reading through the Doctrine and Covenants and and in the scriptures, I would come across verses um, that seemed to indicate to me that we shouldn't just be killing things and wasting flesh without any need for it. And uh there were some scriptures that said, you know, one of the it was in the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis, I think, the blood of every beast I shall require at thy hands. Um and all of these other things. But some of the other scriptures seem to talk about, you know, hey, uh, those that forbid the eating of meats are not ordained of God. So so it seemed like there's this paradox. And I didn't understand where to draw the line because it seems like there should always be an answer to every question. There should be a, a clear direction on what to do and how can you have these two competing ideologies and how does this make sense? How do we make sense of all this? Well, I I then had a very a very dramatic experience that, that I wasn't expecting. We were, we were kind of trying to fellowship this young teenage kid. He wasn't very active and, um, and we wanted to just try to be a good influence for him and, and, you know, learn about him and interact with him in ways that are, that are positive. And so we tried to mentor this kid a little bit, my companion and I, and one day we're at his house and this is, they lived way out in the country. One day we're at his house and he said that they always kill a goat and have the goat for Christmas dinner. So, um, it was, uh, mid December, I think. And my companion, he was from Fiji's and, uh, I was his trainer. So he had only been out in the mission field for, you know, a couple months. And, We were talking to. He was talking about killing this goat, and my companion said, "Oh, I'd, I'd love to kill a goat. We do this all the time in the islands, and um, I can do it really fast. I you stab them right in the heart, and that ends them immediately. And so the kid thought this would this was an interesting idea. I was like, Yeah, let's go for it. Let's kill a goat. And (laughs) looking back on it, it seems kind of ridiculous, but you know, we're just we're young guys and young guys d- do ridiculous things. Sometimes you s- still got to remember that these missionaries are just kids. So we go out there and, uh, my companion always used to call me a Texas Ranger. And, uh, it was, it was kind of irritating how often he would call me the Texas Ranger. I'm not sure if he knew what a Texas Ranger was, but, uh, he liked that nickname for me. So I ended up getting a rope and, I just kind of took my hand at trying to lasso him and I got him around the horns immediately. Now, even though I'm from Texas, I did not grow up in with the ranches and things like that. I grew up by, by the beach on the coast and it was a very different lifestyle. So not a cowboy at all, but for some weird reason I happened to lasso the goat and got him and my, uh, Fijian companion, he looks at me with these wide eyes and he goes, you are the Texas Ranger. And, and I was like, Oh, great. And he's never, ever going to let me live this down now. So, um, so we pulled the goat in and, uh, we grabbed the goat, we pulled him out of the gate and it was time to kind of let, let this missionary do his thing and, and dispatch this goat so we could skin the goat and prepare it. And, you know, just kind of help this family out. We just kind of saw it as, yeah it's, it's an interesting thing to do. It's something different. It's service, get to interact with this kid and, um, maybe would be a good experience. So this next part, I'm just going to tell the story, how I experienced it. It's, it's pretty graphic, but I'm just going to give it to you straight from my memory and what my perspective of it was. It, I feel like it was, um, it was kind of unique for me. Some things went wrong with, uh, Killing the goat, and um, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just where I was at in life, and the combination of events, but I it was it was kind of a deeply moving experience that that has stuck with me to this day, and it kind of haunted me for a long time. Um, but we pulled the goat out, we laid it down. I held down the head to just keep him from not moving Um, my companion he kind of you know held the goat down straddled it was a pretty good-sized goat too but um, he holds the goat down we were kind of calming it Um, it probably didn't know what was coming or what was gonna happen but uh, my companion he gets this very solemn look upon his face and um, he holds the knife right up to uh, kind of the goats chest he angles it and and then he just quietly says, sorry, goat. And then he thrusts the knife in. And man, when that knife went into the, the goat's chest, the goat let out this noise. Um, sometimes when goats scream, they sound like human beings. Um, this goat sounded, it sounded like a woman's scream. It was nuts. And I was not expecting that at all. And... And I'm holding the goat down, so I'm looking right into this goat's, you know, they got these weird eyes. I'm looking right into the goat's eyes, and I see it struggling. And so the goat's pushing against me and it's grunting and it's panicking. And and I'm holding it down, looking at it, and and he uh my companion says, Uh, I he goes, I, I think I missed the heart. And I said, Well, what do you mean you missed the heart? He goes, he goes, I missed. And then he shoves the knife in again. And um he actually hit a lung because then the goat began to cough up blood. And and I'm kind of uh I'm not feeling very comfortable about this at all. And I'm like, man, you're we're causing this goat a, a lot of pain. And the goat is just screaming and it's struggling and it's um it's fighting for its life, just like a a person or anyone would if they if they were getting attacked by someone with a knife. And, um, and again, you know, it kind of really hit me hard that this animal cares for its life. It has, it has a feeling to preserve its life. And it, it can be afraid and it can feel panicked. And all of these emotions that I really only thought about people having, um, I'm seeing in this goat and um you know he tries again um the goat did not go down easily uh, but uh eventually uh, the life drained from the goat uh after several minutes it took way too long uh, to dispatch this this goat but man i i felt really horrible after that to be honest Uh, i i don't know what it was i mean i've i had been hunting once before um where where one of the guys shot a cow by accident um that's a that's a really weird story but uh, we dressed out the cow took all the meat and everything and i'd seen other things die before uh it's not the first time i'd seen an animal die but um there's something different about this particular experience that i can't really put words to but I had this, uh, I had some of these words of scripture just kind of haunting me, especially the words about wasting flesh and shedding blood and having no need. And I I kind of thought to myself, I, I killed this thing, but did I need to? I wasn't starving to death. Um, I certainly didn't need to take this life, but I did. And I was almost looking forward to it because I thought it would be fun. And um, anyway, that whole thing uh, just kind of disturbed me for a long time. I mean, it it honestly, I know it may sound ridiculous to some people, especially if you hunt a lot and everything. I totally get that. But for me at that time, it, it felt more like what I was doing was in the realm of murder rather than trying to feed my family or trying to just, go about a normal task that, that happens many, many times around the world on ranches and things like that. It's just for me, um, having this particular experience, it caused me to, to have some thoughts about things that I, that I hadn't before. And so for the rest of my mission, this, this whole thing kind of stuck with me. And whenever I ate any food and and I I turned back to the scriptures and I started reading more about it and I'm like, why do I feel this way? There shouldn't be anything wrong about what I did, but I, I feel like something was wrong with it, but I don't understand really what it was. Why does everyone else not have a problem with this? Why is it just me? And maybe, maybe I've got it wrong. Anyway, something wasn't straight in my head and I had to figure it out, but all of my searching and anything didn't really yield too much uh, and so a lot of times it just kind of sat on the back burner while i i focused on the myriad of other things that came across my plate right so um towards the end of my mission i'm serving in an area with where this guy comes out he's got this recumbent bike and i'd never ridden a recumbent bike before but it's like yeah take it around the block and so I, I take this bike for a spin around the cul-de-sac and and you know, super fun. I'm like, man, this is way more comfortable <laughs> than the bike that I sit on all day. And uh so we went inside and then he was telling us about how he rides this bike across multiple states. He goes on these really long bike rides and he goes, you know, I never used to be able to do that, but I decided to take the word of wisdom really seriously. Uh, he goes, I, you know, I, I'd gained some weight. I wasn't very healthy. And, and I decided I was going to really study the word of wisdom and figure out uh, what I needed to do. And he goes, you know, one of the things I did, he goes, cause it says to, to eat the flesh of animals sparingly. And, and he goes, I decided to do that. And he goes, I lost 30 pounds and I got all this energy and I'm able to go on these bike rides and do these tours. I got into doing this stuff and he goes, I just feel so much better. And he goes, I still eat meat now and then he goes, but I would say it's, it's a a very small part of my overall diet. And, um, and just reducing the amount he goes, I I think had a big significance. So to him, that was a, a very kind of faith promoting experience that he had. And that kind of stuck with me too, because a lot of times at dinner, we just have joking conversations. Oh, you got a girlfriend back home or oh, who are you teaching and all these things. But we had this really great doctrinal discussion, which I always enjoy those. And, you know, he, he talked to me about all this and, uh, and that, that kind of stuck with me too. So I'm like, well, maybe there's something to that. So anyway, the mini- the mission finishes up and I head back to Texas, um, I end up staying down in the local area. Uh, Through uh, a series of um, interesting events, I I came to meet my wife and we got married and decided to, you know, just build our life there in in South Texas. Uh, We, I got a grill, we barbecued, we just, we did the same, same old things. Nothing really changed. Um, But as I started working in my career, I was sitting at a desk a lot trying to build up my graphic design business. And I had horrible habits as far as, um, not exercising at all, eating the standard American diet, not even the standard American diet, the, the standard Texas diet, which, which consists of, you know, you know, there's a lot of barbecue and a lot of different things in there, big sandwiches, lots of meat, uh, all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, I didn't exercise a lot. I ended up, uh, really screwing up my back, lifting some things, uh, and, and by this time, I, I'd gained, I would say, an extra forty pounds. Injuring my back, crushing one of my discs, was not helpful either. Um, it caused me to be very careful about things that I did, and so I just ended up kind of, you know, gaining all this weight and be, feeling injured all the time and not happy. And and I I suffered with this for years and years and years. Uh, I mean, from two thousand five, I would say even to present day, it's it's not something that's totally healed. I deal with it a lot better now, and I would say a lot of the reasons I deal with it better have to do with um, kind of part two of this story. But it, you know, kind of in all these sufferings and and things, I I kind of wondered what I'm gaining this weight, but what are human beings? supposed to eat that was the real question that's how it started you know you don't have obese animals just running around in the natural world most animals just seem like they're fit in good shape they have tons of energy they're running around jumping there's there's the circle of life and all these different things but here we are human beings and there's so many different types of of diet people will diet they'll lose weight, then they'll gain it back and then they'll lose weight. And I'm like, what are people just supposed to eat? Whatever it is that people need to eat, I'll eat it. I got to a point where like, I don't really, I don't care anymore. I just want to know there's got to be something. So I thought of, you know, looking at these different diets and and looking at different things. And then very quickly, the thing that came to me was, yeah, God has to have said something about this. There has to be something that God has said to give us instructions about this. And so, you know, I, I decided to turn to the scriptures. And the first thing that came to mind was the word of wisdom. So I went through and I read the word of wisdom. And then I, I read through those verses that I didn't like reading the ones about not only eating the flesh of animals in time of winter or famine and stuff. And I'm like, no, that's not what it means. That's not what that means. Don't start looking at those things again, right? You're not going to be some vegetarian. I don't even think I heard the word vegan before or anything like that, but I did not want any part of that. And so I I kept looking through the scriptures. I, I opened up my... Um, my scriptures and I had all these notes back from the mission, which talked about, you know, wasting flesh and, and things. And I'm like, Oh, that's not good. That's not good. And I don't want to hear that. And I, I went and I said, okay, forbidding meats, whoever forbids meats is not of God. And so I go, okay, that's great. So at least I have that. But what else is there? And I, and I started thinking, I'm like, okay, what if I studied every single dietary law, or every bit of instruction that God has ever given supposed, to, uh, based around what you're supposed to eat. So I went back to the garden of Eden and I read all the different scriptures about what they ate in the garden of Eden. And then I looked at what happened after the flood. There were some instructions given to Noah. There was the law of Moses. And then in the new Testament, there were some interesting accounts of food and different things, um, and some things that i missed until years later i'll get to that in in um the second part of this uh this episode but um and i go back into doctrine and covenants again and then then i started thinking okay well what what have all the leaders of the church said about it what do the current leaders say and i looked around i couldn't find a lot of things from the current leaders they would mostly just say stuff like sparingly and meat, meat sparingly. That's what that's what we say. And there wasn't much beyond that. And so I started digging back, and I said, "Okay, let's." Now that I have all of these instructions from the scriptural history, let's see what all the leaders of the church have said in our day. Is there any sense I could make from what they are teaching? Are they teaching a consistent message, or is it way to one side or the other? I was pretty sure I was going to read a lot of stuff saying oh, well, yeah, you know, I have hamburgers all the time and it's fine and you just, you just kind of do your thing. And that was that was old instruction a long time ago for farmers and hunters. It doesn't really apply too much today or, I don't know. I, I didn't know what I was going to find. But, man, there was a ton of stuff going all the way back to Joseph Smith and beyond. And um, it was pretty earth-shattering to me what I found. And the results of... that journey and after i kind of compiled all this information and then i did more research into um modern day knowledge and and just kind of put it all together um you know very very prayerfully and very willing to accept whatever the results that i would find but the more i dug in the more um (laughs) just my spirits fell and um the more anxious i felt about what the what i was reading because it was not what it was not what i was hoping for and it and it raised some really challenging questions for me that i that i would have to grapple with and uh and i've i've now spent the last 10 years grappling with so um i think this is a good stopping point because i i still need to finish organizing my thoughts about part 2 because this is where everything just kind of explodes upon the scene and all these different things happen. And it's my kind of my favorite part of the story. I I ended up learning a lot of things that I did not expect at all. Some things that were very challenging to me then, in that I struggled with all throughout those 10 years. And only very recently have I kind of found some closure and some answers with those things. And, um, so I, I'm really looking forward to sharing that whole experience with you next time. So I hope you enjoyed this part one. It's a little kind of crazy and all over the place, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot more closure to some of these loops in part two where I'll kind of discuss um, how some current philosophies and diets and ideas kind of come close to aspects of the word of wisdom, but how I think that they're, they're just not on point at all. A um, little bit of a spoiler. There isn't any particular philosophy, viewpoint, or title that I ended up giving to how I practice my life in terms of the word of wisdom. I just say, I just do my best to keep the word of wisdom. That's all I say. Uh, so I'm not a part of any movement or group, and I'm not going to um, you know endorse any particular movement and group. What I've found... I feel like is a little bit more, um, a little bit more fluid, and it f- it kind of fits with the idea of how we define, or at least how Elder Bednar defines principles. And I've talked about that in previous podcasts, doctrines, principles, and applications. And so I'm applying those same things here. When you understand what a principle is and how the Word of Wisdom refers to uh, itself as a principle with a promise, then I think um, things begin to open up a little bit more. And, um, I I find a lot of answers and and meaning in that. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and cut it off here. Be sure to check out part two.